Are you a non-native English-speaking entrepreneur who wants to take your business to the next level? Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, if only I could speak the language better, I would be a lot further along? When I first came to Germany from California and started my own business, I asked myself the very same question. The common thing that stands in the way of us improving our skills in our business and language communication is fear. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's possible for you to improve your English and grow your business at the same time. I've created a method that is not only fast and efficient, brain-friendly and fun, but will also connect you with other like-minded entrepreneurs at the same time. It's a win-win situation. I'm Sharon Kuster, and this is English for Entrepreneurs. Today, I have our first in-depth interview with a very special guest joining us from Munich, Germany. He's an international speaker, author, and editor-in-chief of Business Spotlight, and he'll be sharing some insights with us about Business Spotlight and how business communication has changed. Welcome, Ian McMaster. I am so excited to introduce my next guest, Ian McMaster. Ian is the editor-in-chief of Business Spotlight Magazine, international speaker, innovator, and author. Welcome, Ian. Good morning, Sharon. So nice to have you here today. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. To start off, can you give us some background on the publications at Spotlight for Log, especially Spotlight and Business Spotlight? Yeah, Spotlight Verlag, the publishing house. Uh, we're here in Munich. We were set up 40 years ago. Uh, two, next year, uh, 2021, is the 40th anniversary. It was set up with an English magazine originally, Spotlight, to help German speakers improve their English skills and to kind of be somewhere between school book textbooks, which were seen as often boring, and the mainstream or the regular media, which was often too difficult for people. So that was the concept behind the magazine to provide content, up-to-date content, regular monthly content, but with language help to enable people to improve their English skills. And from there, the company added on other languages, also aimed at German speakers, so to help them learn French, Ecoute, then Spanish with Ecos, then Italian uh, with Adesso. We also, for a while, had an English magazine for teenagers called Spot On. Uh, that was very successful until Facebook came along and took away teenagers time ah, that's um, where it went <laughs> yeah that was that was facebook was responsible for that basically um, and the then we about 20 years or so ago we well we we started business spotlight in in 2001 that was because we saw at spotlight that one of the main reasons why people were trying to improve their english skills along with leisure reasons to go on holiday and communicate with people was to for, the, for work purposes, for their current job or to get a better job. So that's where Business Spotlight came from, derived out of Spotlight. And then the one magazine we have which is not aimed at German speakers, uh, or German-speaking learners, I should say, is Deutsch Perfect, because that is German as a foreign language, which over the past, particularly the past 10 years, has seen a, a real boom in demand for German as a foreign language. So... That's the languages we cover in different forms, magazines, audio products with audio materials, workbooks for people who want to do more exercises and practice, obviously websites, newsletters, podcasts, all the range of products that 
you have nowadays as a, as a multimedia business. Yes, you also have the plus part of the, the spotlight and business uh, spotlight magazine for the teachers and trainers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We, I mean, teachers and trainers are very important for us because first they make up around 15% of our subscribers, our readers themselves, but they're also obviously they pass the word on, they're multipliers, they encourage their students um, to try out our products. And so we provide a certain amount of teaching support with uh, ideas for activities based on the products we produce every, every month or every time the, the magazine comes out. Actually, those a Spotlight Plus, those are the additional exercises for learning. Yeah, the Plus is the exercise workbook, mm-hmm. and it's, we have Spotlight in the classroom, Business Spotlight in the classroom, um, Ecouton class, and so on. And the idea is really to say every time the magazine comes out, the audio comes out, the exercises come out, and through this classroom product, we, we offer some support, or just ideas for teachers who, we know teachers don't have time, a lot of time to um, and just to help them, support them in their preparation with ideas how they could use the materials. Yes. It's a wonderful thing that you have such a broad spectrum of materials. Like, for example, you have your e-paper for learners and your yeah. audio now. Yeah. And I know my learners love the audio. They tend to go on and do that in their free time, and they gain a lot of improvement from that. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Good. So... Let's compare a textbook kind of learning, a course kind of situation to Spotlight Magazine for Learners. And in, the, in terms of business people or entrepreneurs, how could they benefit from your publication and what you offer compared to a course with grammar and the whole gamut, which you offer as well? How would you compare a, a, as a learning tool, Spotlight and Business Spotlight, to that course path? Yeah, I mean, as I said, we the original idea was to, was with the product was to have something that was more up to date, maybe more in some ways interesting than traditional textbooks going back a long way. But of course, modern textbooks are are also much different to traditional textbooks. I mean, they're much more interesting. The topics are more relevant. They're not so obsessed with grammar, maybe as they used to be, but they do still have a very strong component, which will be which will be grammar. Although most of them are now, you know, topic actually topic based. I'm 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 a I'm a big fan of good textbooks. I'm not down on textbooks mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I think most of our the fact is that most people and most of our readers they're not in a course at any particular point in time. So if if you're doing a course, then yes, textbooks could have their role. Although obviously a lot of teachers and particularly business trainers, um, you know, they they move on to using their own materials aimed at the particular course they've got. But as I say, most people are not in a course. So what are those people going to do? Well, Probably if you're not in a course, most textbooks is probably not what you what you need as an individual learner. So our products are primarily aimed at those people who are self-study mm-hmm. to help them how they can learn on their own. Maybe also in a course and also our materials can be used in courses. But, you know, the first priority we're thinking about somebody that who's on their own, they don't have a course. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe their company doesn't send them on one or whatever. So I think that's probably the biggest difference. I mean, content-wise, nowadays, I say, if you compare us with good course books, where the focus is more and more on effective communication and not language as such. And I think that's an important distinction, yeah. That's very important, yeah. I remember at a conference we both attended and you gave a presentation at, you were talking about authentic communication for meetings and business. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's a topic that um, 
that I got interested in a, a few years ago because I, I kept hearing people saying things like, you know, the language of textbooks does not reflect the language of what actually goes on in meetings, the language, for example, meetings and other situations. The language which is seen as authentic or what people often prefer to call naturally occurring rather than these sort of typical language or phrases that you find in textbooks. So there's a bit of a down on these things. And I, I kind of thought that was unfair. And then when I started looking into it, you discovered, as we know, but researchers also found that much of the so-called authentic communication in the so-called real world is actually poor communication. It's actually very bad. It's people talking over each other, people talking past each other, people not understanding, people not not uh, clarifying what something means, people leaving meetings not even knowing whether a decision was taken. It's people, fluent speakers, native or non-native speakers, too, speaking too quickly. It's people using idiomatic language. So as one of our authors, Bob Dignan, said in a, an interview I did with him, if, if authentic communication is poor communication, our job is not to replicate it. It's mm -hmm. to improve it. And that's where I feel these... The language that is presented in textbooks, cleverly um, uh, chosen, can actually be a basis for more effective communication than just saying, well, let's see how it's done in the real world and just copy that, because the real world is often communicative disaster. Okay, so you would say there could be advantages to a, a good textbook, a useful, they could be useful. Yeah, I mean, obviously what we don't want to do is to teach people a thousand ways of disagreeing and agreeing mm -hmm. on some kind of scale where nobody can really see the difference between phrase 997 and phrase 996. You don't need that number of phrases. But, you know, five or six phrases usefully chosen to express your opinion or to interrupt. I mean, if I had those in every language in the world, I, I think I'd be able to communicate better. Um, mm -hmm. So I think we need to, if we're using this so-called artificial, but what, what, what we mean by artificial is that somebody sat down and thought this would be a good thing to say rather than recording a meeting. I don't actually think that is artificial, but anyway. But if we choose it cleverly, intelligently, so it's what I call intelligent artificiality. Mm -hmm. instead of artificial intelligence yes. intelligent artificiality yeah mm -hmm. very good what about listening do you think that that we could improve on our listening skills in business and our communication absolutely i mean a few years ago we did a we did a series in business spotlight looking at particular communication skills and some of them were quite traditional ones like or situations like presentations or meetings but actually the very first one we did was on listening we put that right at the front because we, we and that was kind of a, a marker to say this is in some ways the most important thing. The second one was on speaking principles and these two go so, so closely together. I mean, it's difficult to be a really good speaker, except maybe at a conference, if, if you're not listening. It's difficult to be a good speaker in commute conversation or in meetings if you're not listening. And of course, if you're not, if you're, if you, if you can't speak, then all the listening in the world um, may not help you. So these things go very closely together. Listening mm -hmm. is extremely important. Listening is an area where I do think exposure to more of the, whatever you want to call it, authentic um, uh, conversation rather than simply stylized, uh, sanitized um, language or dialogues in mm -hmm. teaching materials. I, there I do think on the passive side, we, we should expose people to more of that kind of input if we possibly can because that's what they're going to be confronted with when they're doing their their jobs 
Excellent advice. Yes, very good. So I would like to ask you who your ideal subscriber to, let's talk about Business Spotlight. Who would be your ideal subscriber to a Business Spotlight subscription? Yeah, this is an interesting one because it would be very easy to say that the ideal subscriber is the subscriber who a subscribes to all of our products the magazine the audio and the the exercise workbooks and maintains the subscription for the rest of their life even after they've given up work <laughs> but that would be a somewhat facetious answer we know that in practice most people you know typically a subscriber you know will will stay with us for maybe on average 3 or 4 years with obviously some a lot of people that stay much longer so I don't really think that that's what we should be focused on. Actually, I think my ideal subscriber or reader is actually somebody who, who engages with us, mm-hmm. um, engages with us, gives us, uh, you know, writes to us, uh, suggests topics, tells us what they liked or didn't like about a particular article or issue, asks us why we're not doing X. I had a, an email recently, a very interesting one from a reader who uh, she was positive about the magazine, so she, she did it very well. She said some positive things, but then she she said, "What's your what's your diversity policy? What's your diversity policy? Not in terms of employment, but in terms of topics, presentation of material, images of people in the magazine." It, it is an issue that we have discussed before a while back, but it it gave me the impetus to say, "Right, we'll discuss that again in the editorial team. We'll look at the products and see what can we do better." So that's my ideal subscriber or reader somebody who engages with us i think yeah yes very good what about the publishing industry right now what do you think is happening with that in relationship Uh, you mentioned that more things are going online we have facebook social media where do you see the published industry going in general well, I think it's very difficult to say for two reasons. One, because the publishing industry itself is so is so um, you know so differenti- differentiated. You know, we know that daily newspapers have been much harder hit by the digitalization because of the you know the news. Mm, uh, yes. You can get much much more efficient um, sort of longer term publications. By long, I mean a monthly publication. You've got a bit more. Uh, breathing space there you're obviously not as up to date but readers don't expect that they they expect to kind of relax with a nice magazine i'm not just talking about our magazines i mean generally there's a so but obviously there is a general trend people consuming content digitally we see that we have increasing numbers of subscribers who for example do not take our cd they they simply download the files Okay. Still, the majority take the CD. Actually, it's interesting. Oh, or, they do. They do. It's still the majority. The CD is quite uh, quite stubborn. Mm-hmm. Or take the e-paper rather than the physical product. But again, still the majority take the physical product. But where I mean, where we want to move to is is to making it much easier for our subscribers to say, you know, if I subscribe, I can read it in print if I want, but I can also find all the content as a subscriber online. I'm not talking about making it completely free wouldn't work as a business model but if you subscribe to the products you know why shouldn't you be able to find all the stuff um, in one in one nice website online we don't have that at the moment but i think that's for us a trend but it's always dangerous looking into the future because the big things that come along you don't you never see them the big mm-hmm. things you see, you see the continuation of current trends mm-hmm. so you know we did not see you know 5 years before facebook started we didn't see that coming and therefore you know, we, we couldn't predict the, the, the fact that teenagers and particularly teenage, the readership of our teenage magazine was about 80% girls and for 20% boys. 
for whatever reason. But, mm-hmm. you know, when, when social media came along, there was clearly, you know, time went elsewhere and this is what happens, you know. Um, but that's an, that it goes under the name disruption. It's, yes. Disruption is fascinating when it's somebody else's industry. It's a bit scarier when it's yours. But Adaptation. <laughs> yeah, there's no protection from it. Yes. You know? It just comes and whacks you around the head when you're not looking. Do you see maybe a change? Yes, it does. Do you see maybe a change coming that might bring that the, the teenagers are getting offline more or do you see them continuing to be online more? I don't really know how that will develop. I mean, there is some people say, you know, this is it because of phase and then, you know, there may be that they, they rediscover print at some time. Who knows? You know, I mean, people rediscovered vinyl after a long time and suddenly yeah. it became a kind of a hip niche um, or quite... Um, you know, not 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 really a niche actually, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, that there'll be extra changes affecting all of us, publishing or not, as a result of you know what we've seen with the coronavirus and you know difficulties with face to face teaching and training. So that's already given a boost to various digital things, including platforms like we're using now. But presumably that will also, um, if it continues, which obviously we all hope it, uh, that the possibility of face-to-face is there, mm-hmm. but the mix will be different in the future, the, the so-called hybrid mix or what blended learning as we've, we've called it in the, in the language uh, or the learning industry, that, that will probably create and demand more uh, innovation and new, new digital that will yes. clearly affect the language business as well. And the online platforms um, are tending to get more inundated. So things could change a bit and go yeah. in, in another direction. We never yeah. know, do we? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you spend all day in front of a screen, as, as all of us have done at times, then you probably don't in the evening want to sit down and maybe spend it in front of a different screen. Maybe you do. Maybe then, you know, you spend your day teaching and online or learning online or whatever and then at evening you you sit down and watch you, you watch a film on another digital platform but you know for some a lot of people there's a point where they say okay that's that's saturation i need something else you know? yes definitely i think that will come around to evolve into something else as well eventually good um ian i i would like to ask you uh, a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you evolve into Spotlight Magazine, Business Spotlight? I know that you started at Spotlight and then you went to Business Spotlight as Editor-in-Chief. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to get there, where you come from and your education? I can, yes. And and looking back on one's life, one can often tell a coherent story that that maybe wasn't at all coherent when you were living it in real time forwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called On Not Being Someone Else, which, uh, yeah, and it's you know, quite a simple idea, but one of the ideas is that, you know, when you start off, you've got thousands, if not millions of paths ahead of, potential paths ahead of you, but looking back, there was only one that you took. Mm-hmm. So I can tell it to you as a story that will, might sound as though it was planned, but it really wasn't. Um, I mean, I studied, I grew up in England, um, in Bath, in the southwest. I, I, I studied um, economics um, in Cambridge and in, in London, and I thought that's where I was going, and then I realized that's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to continue that, so uh, I changed direction completely. I joined a lobby organization for disabled people. I became their press officer and research mm-hmm. officer for five years. It also got me into freelance journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I moved to Germany at the end of the 80s, I continued freelance journalism, but I also my teaching certificate because um, it seemed to me that was a a an interesting thing to do and b 
something where I was relatively sure I could get work. Mm-hmm. So I, I did my teaching certificate actually in Hungary, in Budapest. Um, ah. Yeah, at International House. There were three there at the time. A very interesting experience just after the, it was the summer of 1990, just after the Berlin Wall came down. Wow. And, um, and then I came back to Munich. I started teaching. Uh, relatively quickly, that teaching of English became teaching of business English in companies through private language schools at the Volkshochschule, the Adult Education Institutes, and so on. I was still doing freelance journalism. I was translating, etc. And then I and then I um, had the chance to join Spotlight uh, in 1992 as the kind of junior member of the team at Spotlight with responsibility mm-hmm. for the business section. I guess because of my background, and and that, and that actually brought together the, the three threads: the kind of the business with economics, the journalism, and the language teaching. So. You know, one of the factors that a number of people say that you need in your career is, as well as sort of, as well as you know, taking your chances, is you need a bit of luck. You know, and that was my bit of luck that I, mm-hmm. I landed there, and was able to combine these things. And then, 1995, I became editor in chief of Spotlight, and then 2001, we founded Business Spotlight. As I say, because of the demand. So that's almost you know, that's 20 the, years. Yes, next year in March, it's 20 years. Anniversary yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, we should celebrate that. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So what would you say is your most favorite thing about what you do in your role as the editor-in-chief at Business Spotlight? Well, I think, the, I think probably it's, it's, it's still actually the content and the variety of content. This is what struck me when I got first started working at Spotlight. It was a monthly publication, so we didn't have the stress of a daily newspaper, but yet after one month we moved on to new topics. And this really suited me because I'd spent three years on a doctorate, which I finished, but nearly killed me. So <laughs> I, didn't, I never wanted to spend three years on one thing again. So this monthly rhythm where you research topics intensively, you wrote about them, and then they were printed and you moved on. And that's still, I think, the case. So it's very much the content, even though obviously, or maybe not obviously, but a lot of people will understand that in a position like editor-in-chief, of course you're involved in an awful lot of organizational mm-hmm. bureaucracy personnel issues that you know take away the time from the the thing that was the reason why you joined in the first place which was the the content mm-hmm. so that's what i like most the content the the fact that we move on to new topics dealing with our you know new authors the ideas that come up that's creativity still, Yes, it is a form of creativity, and, and it's a form of collaborative creativity. Mm-hmm. The authors, the the people on the staff, etc. Um, Wonderful and thing. And what's quite nice, of course, is that at the end of the month or at the end of the production cycle, um, you actually see you see something that you've um, that you that you've produced. Yes, and it's such, there are such a variety of articles in your publications. I mean, there are so many different topics. Anyone who's interested in anything, whether it be from the British side of English or the American side of English, you always have a broad spectrum that you cover, which I think is very valuable for learners and offers them a variety. What we try, well, it's nice, very nice you say that. What we're trying to do is we're trying to provide that variety in terms of topic, in terms of different industries, in terms of different aspects of communication, whether it's the whether it's the language aspect, the intercultural aspect, or you know, paralinguistic aspects, or whatever. Different, uh, say, hearing from different parts of the world, 
and so on. But the thing that holds it together is is the is the aim to help people to do their jobs better. For me, business English is, if we want to use that term, business English is the English people need to do their jobs. And our aim, like your aim and the aims of other people in different aspects of the industry, is to help people do their jobs better mm-hmm. in English. Yeah, Absolutely, yes. Ian, our listeners are very interested in hearing about goals and challenges successful entrepreneurs face in their businesses. With all the success you've achieved over the last 20 years, what is your biggest challenge now? The biggest challenge now is definitely the um, continuing the transition to providing materials in a in a attractive form and a form that works well a user-friendly form um, on digital platforms that's definitely we will certainly want to continue with the physical um, products because that's what most people still want but that's the really the the challenge of the next well it it's the challenge for the next six months acutely but it's one that will it's one that will continue yeah great and one more thing, um, what's currently working for you to attract more business with Sp- Business Spotlight and the Spotlight for Love? Well, I think, you know, the marketing department would say, you know, marketing's changed dramatically. You know, uh, if you, for example, if you see a full page advertisement for your product in another magazine, it gives you a kind of a feel good factor, yeah? it may or may not generate any business, you know, so it's very much, you know, it's direct, it's direct marketing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's identifying the target groups, um, finding different ways of offering the product to them in different packages, very much more individualized than a kind of standard offer. It's Mm -hmm. seeing how you can use social media. That whole thing has changed. I mean, when I, worked in the, in the nineties, you know, the most important market factor for business wallet was how many, how many inserts did we print to go into other magazines for our our products, you know? So all those things that fall out of magazines that most people throw away, you know, and it was a bit like a kind of a plan economy. It would be, it would be proudly announced last year we printed 6 million, this year we printed 6.2 million, you know? That was almost the measure of success wow. because it worked very mechanistically. You knew Fantastic. exactly what the response rate would be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that again just fell off the cliff at some point, you know, that the... Uh, didn't, didn't work um, in the same way so things don't always go as planned um, do they no so it's um i think i think for the marketing department it's a permanent permanent change there in trying to find out which channels work best mm-hmm. an ongoing challenge yeah. what would you like to share with us that i haven't asked you yet i know when we when we spoke before or when we were you know thinking about this interview and um one of the things you asked me was um, about uh, advice I had received. Yes. And, um, and, I, and I, I thought about that. I mean, I, I, there, were two, there were two things really that stuck in my mind, and they, they are connected. What was the best re- advice you've ever received? Was that right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, or given. Yeah, well... well <laughs> I don't really want to judge what's the best advice I've ever given. And I'm increasingly trying not to give people advice on anything. And I think you'd have to ask other people for that one. Um, but in terms of advice I've received, one, one big bit of advice was, which keeps coming back to me is kind of unintentional uh, in that it wasn't 
somebody giving me the advice, but it was advice from a book, and it was from The Great Gatsby. Uh, mm-hmm. Happens to be, I guess, my favourite novel. Mm-hmm. And the the protagonist, the narrator, Nick Carraway, right at the beginning... Robert of the book, Redford, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. at least in one film. of the versions, there are mm-hmm. other versions. Yeah, yeah. Right at the beginning of the book, he quotes uh, the, the protagonist quotes advice from his father, and the advice was, "Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all of the people in the world haven't had the advantages that you've had." I think that's good advice. That comes back to me every every now and again. Mm-hmm. A second piece of advice was actually a couple of years ago, and it was given by a very dear friend and colleague of mine, uh, Eamon Fitzgerald, who uh, tragically died last year. Oh. Um, now, Eamon used to reread The Great Gatsby every year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a huge Great Gatsby fan. His advice to me was when we were at an event together, um, giving talks at an event for business English trainers, and Eamon the talk that I gave, Aben had heard me giving it before. And he came up to me afterwards and he just said to me, Ian, you've done that talk before. You're coasting. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of swallowed hard and Ooh. probably didn't say anything. But I thought about that a lot afterwards. So I, I, think of, um, I think a lot about Aben generally, but I think about that particular comment of his because it's a reminder that um, at least if you are coasting at points in your job, be aware that you're coasting and coast, mm-hmm. uh, coast consciously because maybe sometimes we all need to coast. But it was also a little bit of a, um, you know, a kick in the pa- up of the pants for me in the backside to, to, mm-hmm. to remember that um, you can't coast the whole time. Excellent. So that was yeah. good advice. Authentic communication from him. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> he, he. You know, Great. we were good. We were good enough friends that he felt he felt uh, he could say that. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I thought about it a lot. I think about it often. That that comment. Yeah. And so I I try to think: Am I coasting? And if I am, then can you know? Is it good for me maybe to coast at the moment? But when do I need to shift up a gear? So many pieces, so many golden nuggets offered by you today. Thank you, Ian. Is there somewhere we can send our listeners to learn more about you? Well, I think it's probably more interesting for for the listeners to to learn about our products and to learn about me specifically. Um, But if anybody wants to connect, they can obviously via LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, Find me very easily on LinkedIn and just uh, just send a note and and maybe say you know that they. They heard us talking here. Okay. So that I, I know where people come from. Um, Very good. And for the, for the magazine and our products, then the best way is to go to the Business Spotlight website, which is um, www.business-spotlight.de. Perfect. Thank you so much for today's interview. It was very, very full of information and value for our listeners. I look forward to having you back again. Thanks very much. Thank you, Ian. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Stay tuned next week for another episode where I'll be joined by Efficient Language Coaching and Neuro Language Coaching founder, Rachel Paling. Signing off for now, I'm Sharon Kuster, and this is English for Entrepreneurs.
Hey, thank you for joining us this week on English for Entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to visit iTunes and like and subscribe. And please tell your friends all about it too. Stay tuned next week for more fun and valuable tips on improving your English for business.